Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from Talksport. This is Paul Hawksby. And Andy Jacobs. And this is the H&J Daily with some of the best bits of this afternoon's show as we saw it. So what did we like today, Andy? We very much like Dave Kidd with his a big Fulham fan, so he's a bit nervous about tonight. But he talks about London rivalries and, yeah. and the rivalry with, between Brentford and Fulham. Yeah. Richard Archer joined us from Hard Five, big Brentford fan, to look at the other side of that championship playoff final. Uh, we talked about uh, tattoos, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Uh, about uh, an Italian player with a new tattoo and how it might affect him. Yeah. Medic. Uh, what else did we like? Uh, we talked about Icelandic football. We did. Very new, uh, very good new book out. We had a chat, talked about some various stuff. So here it all is. Seven minutes past one. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. I'm singing. Trying to find a note, are you? Tuning note. <laughs> Tuning fork. Okay. As I am. Uh, yes. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon, Andy. Good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon, Paul. And uh, yeah, I start with the uh, interesting story about Marcus Rashford. He's uh, he's going to have a, his own golf course, which I think fair enough. He's, yeah. he's buying this wonderful house. It's a bit of an odd piece that because it said he's gonna, he said he's bought a golf course to build a house. So, so I mean, I take it he's building a house, and then there'll still be a golf course there. <laughs> yeah. I didn't quite understand the yeah. piece. Actually. I didn't, I didn't even mind. I just like the mock-up of him in... <laughs> plus fours Plus and fours, stuff. but they've obviously picked a sort of squat. It looks like my body with his head on it. <laughs> it does unfortunately, they've had to squash his head to sort of make it look in proportion. Yeah, it does. It's, it, it, it's quite odd. He's on the cover of Vogue, isn't he? See that? He's on the yeah, cover of Vogue. Yeah, it's brilliant for him. That's great, there. isn't it? So, um, yeah, and <laughs> good old... I don't know if she's a Fulham fan, but stylish summer Monty Fulham. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'd like... She'll be there tonight, wouldn't she? She's I mean, she'll be watching well, she on television. Be certainly be with the team, yeah. but I love the fact that they it's always the same. She she risks driving fans crazy by choosing denim shorts and a crop top for her service station trip in her 38,000. Who cares how much it costs? Special edition Nissan Navara. And she says she was snapped near her family home. And isn't it a coincidence that the good people from Splash News Photographs just happened to be at the service station when the summer pulled in and yeah. throw, you know to sort of tend to her car? It's brilliant. What a coincidence! It's absolutely amazing. I was looking up famous fans of both clubs and uh, oh, yeah. Brentford uh, kind of got a fairly select bunch I looked at the Brentford celebrity fans and famous fans on online mm. of course we've got our own Natalie haven't we yes, Natalie, Natalie, yeah. we've got Nathan Caton who was on with the yeah, boys earlier right, on the comedian yeah. Richard Archer we're going to chat to later yeah. on who's the singer from Hard Fire. he's actually put together a yeah. little um, Brentford playlist on Spotify that he'll tell us about well, they say Phil Collins, but Phil Collins is really a Spurs fan. That's what he says in his book. He was. A t- I mean, I think oh. he's, he's one of those whoever he can get free tickets from. I think he's one of those, Phil. <laughs> Sarah Cracknell from St Etienne, apparently, Brentford. Cameron Diaz, now that is pretty old. Yes, no, I remember Cameron. Remember the, yeah, uh, the she... restaurateur, Dan Tanner, the old owner yeah. of the club? They took her to a game, so they've claimed them. I, I mean, I wonder if she'll be watching tonight <laughs> in will. LA. Do you think she will oh, be? Yeah. Definitely, she'll be, be. the afternoon. But it I will be she'll afternoon. Be watching, yeah. She'll be watching. Definitely, she can't wait. Him, Ding Gaffney, old mate. Yeah, no, uh, Ding Gaffney. Right. Uh, Vic Greg, Oliver, the Greg actor. Dyke. Uh, Greg Dyke, yeah, he's oh, in yeah, there. Yeah. But then you go through the Fulham list, yeah. Andy. Blimey, we don't know where to start. I mean, I suppose because of that part of the world. Margot Robbie, apparently. Oh, rubbish. Ray Brooks of <laughs> Mr. Ben Robbie. Um, Margot Robbie is not a Fulham fan. <laughs> How do you know? Because I, well, this I, is 
what they say. Uh, <laughs> Hugh Grant, that's, that's a yes, that big hitter. A Old mate Richard Osman, of course, course yeah. we know. Georgie Thompson from Sky. Really? Tony Curtis, they claim here. Fulham. Tony Curtis. Tony Curtis was a big, was a big Fulham fan. Was Tony Curtis a Fulham? Do you remember him there? No. You hey, no I'm looking at Alex as a Fulham fan. No. And some of, if you've ever seen any of these people at Craven Cottage, do let me know. <laughs> uh, um, apparently, Fulton Mackay, Mr. Mackay in Porridge, All right, was... Okay. Uh, was a, a Fulham fan. I don't what, know if he was... The character or he himself? Duffy, Cathy Shipman, Duffy from Casualty. No, really? not the character, no. the uh, <laughs> Although Fulham, Fulham have actually got their own fictional uh, fan section as well. That's how big the club mm. is. Wolfie Smith, of course, Robert oh, Lindsay, yeah. Citizen right, Smith. Yeah. Terry McCann in Minder was That's a true, yeah. Fulham fan. Budgie, uh, once played by Adam Faith. Oh, sure, yeah. uh, I think the thing about Fulham, also they're, they're a historic club. You know, if you yeah. think about the, the when they were a first division club all the time with under Jimmy Hill and Johnny Haynes, of yeah. course, those great players, legends, really. So, yeah, no, it's not surprising. Yeah, really interesting. Uh, talking of legends, I saw this story about Roger Federer. Oh, yeah. uh, Roger, is it, on the face of it, I thought, what a lovely story. Roger saw the uh, viral footage of these two uh, young Italian girls, who tennis players, hmm. 13 and 11, who lived in a block of flats with a gap between them. And the, so they, they worked out a game of tennis. One was on one part of her wow. roof. The other one was on the other part of her roof. And they played, you know, across the gap. And uh, they managed to sort of have a proper tennis match. And it went viral and everything. So Roger went down to Italy to greet them. Flew down there. And I thought, what a lovely thing to do. But then there's only one, one thing here. His appearance on the roof was organised and filmed by Barilla, the Italian pasta company for which he's an ambassador oh. oh so not quite it's still good but not quite as good. well he could have said no he said i'm not bothering to come to italy <laughs> no but you know and uh but he just thought yes a few well, boxes of he's pasta a good, he's in a good man. i'm not saying he's not yeah. a good man he is a good man. very cynical view yes. Andy, of, uh, of a nice man now we're asking you this afternoon have you ever taken it out on an inanimate object uh kurt mafflin was playing in the snooker you may have seen and mm. was warned by the referee for basically uh, yeah, uh, flicking the V to <laughs> the cue ball after yeah. missing out on 147. Yeah. Yes. So, um, I mean, it's great, isn't it? He yeah. just basically flicked the V at a ball <laughs> and the referee says, one more time, I'm afraid, and, you, and you'll get a penalty. Yeah. So uh, there is uh, many f- famous examples, movie examples, the two that spring to mind, of course. Oh, no, what, TV one. Yeah. Um, 40 Towers. Basil 40. When he takes the, yeah. uh, the branch to the car. Yeah. And uh, a wonderful one, which sadly we can't do the line completely, uh, in in Bruges, a fantastic film. Yeah, I love that film. That's good Ray film. finds is uh, Harry the villain, and he's smashing up his telephone. And his wife walks in and says, "Harry, it's an inanimate object." And sadly, I I can't finish that. It's a bit of uh, movie gold, but a bit sweary. But there are times in life when you do take it out on an inanimate mm. object and feel a bit of a burk afterwards. And Andy, I'm sure I don't know if you can remember. I know your memory's not yes. Correct, no, I one that really comes to mind that you'll remember as well. You've seen me is Broadcast Magazine. Oh yeah, <laughs> I used to regularly attack Broadcast Magazine. Yeah, uh, yeah I thought I you... a full punching every week. <laughs> Andy would go. This is the magazine for the kind of TV and broadcast <laughs> industry. And Andy, over the years, has, has had, had to deal with many a commissioning editor <laughs> and a person that he thought was fairly talentless that went on ultimately to become his boss or in charge of the whole of uh, a, a TV None of my network. current bosses, can no, I just no, make no, that no, he doesn't absolutely do that. clear? There is no radio magazine equivalent, otherwise he probably would be doing that. But what he would do, our old friend Phil Bowker, a fellow a TV producer we worked with, we all worked in an office, and Phil uh, said to me a few years ago, he said, he said, how's Andy? Is he still punching broadcast magazine? And Andy, we used to be a joy, Andy. I mean, it was, we used to look forward to it, me and Phil. We'd have to make a cup of tea and we'd give Andy broadcast. He's quite Father Jack. And he'd go through it and he'd say, him... He was an assistant researcher for me. He was useless. He couldn't even make a cup of t- head of channel four. And he started punching, start punching broadcast. I mean, properly punching it with his fist like a madman. They were some terrible people in TV, though. I remember you were once... So, you were so bitter. Somebody I knew, a very funny comedian, was, was doing a sitcom. Mm. And this particular comedian wore glasses. Yeah. And the commissioning editor actually said to him... I think it'd be funnier if you took your glasses off. Yeah. Like that's going to make any difference whatsoever to the script or the way he yeah. says it. But it was a genuine thing. So I think it'd be funny if you didn't have your glasses. Did, did they? Did they get walloped in broadcasting? <laughs> I think they Some did. Actually, almost yeah. certainly did. So if, if the circumstances in which uh, you took it out on a um, inanimate object, 
Talksport.com, text 81089, tweet TSH&J. Ray from Surrey says, how could you forget Michael Jackson when it comes to celebrity Fulham fans? Well, he did have his own statue, of course, didn't he? Ray, we got to include Jacko, so uh, my, well done. My own son is listening to the show. Is he really? contacted me, he said, and you once pu- punched the car steering wheel and broke the horn so it was constantly on. <laughs> That was after Chelsea lost to Arsenal. Oh, not recently. No, it was uh, no, not really. It could have been. It was when Wrighty got a couple of goals, and uh, I just Wrighty'd be chuffed to know that he <laughs> broke your car. I think my Viali shirt ended up in the in Fulham Road, and the car. Yeah, I did. I punched that. And so the, you got the constant. That really, yeah, that yeah. you couldn't turn it off. <laughs> Drove all the way home. Not like a clown car. (laughs) That's fantastic. That is so you. The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from TalkSport. So we bring you exclusive uh, live commentary tonight from Wembley of uh, the playoff final, championship playoff final, Brentford versus Fulham. Uh, Build up from seven, kick-off quarter to eight. And a very interesting piece by uh, Dave Kidd and Son today, who is a Fulham fan. Uh, just about the rivalry between these two clubs, because I think people mm. uh, outside of that part of uh, West London may not realise uh, the, the the white heat nature of it all. And not just that, he listed it, which we all know about. If you if you live in London, you yeah. know that there's a there's a sort of hierarchy of hatred. Mm, yeah, that's <laughs> so right. He did it brilliantly. Dave, good afternoon. Hi, Dave. Hi, chaps, you're oh, right. We've yes, got you, yes, goody. indeed. Uh, yes, as I said, I, I think a lot of people will be surprised that there there is this animosity between the two sides. Always, it, it's not directed Fulham to Brentford. It, it 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 cuts both ways, does it? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I think Brentford. I think every Brentford fan hates Fulham more than anybody. Um, and most Fulham fans, certainly in my sort of generation, definitely regard Brentford as the number one. There's a few maybe younger fans who, who might. Even, so QPR got got a bit hot the last few years and Chelsea for the older guys who remember maybe the 70s when it was a bit more even but I think for a genuine rivalry it needs to be like mutual loathing and it needs to be on some sort of level where you're a, you know you're a similar sort of status and Fulham and Brentford when I was a kid in the 80s and, and certainly these last few years it's been it's been very spicy indeed yeah Is that what it dates back to? It's nothing to do with sort of when both clubs I mean Brentford at one time um, like, I'm talking about probably the 30s they were a, a top club weren't they? I thought she might be going mad now Yeah you're going back to sort of I think <laughs> I think they were in the, in the top in the 30s and then their last season was the first season after the Second World War, so it's a long way back that. But uh, in the 80s, I think, um, I've mentioned it in a column, um, that when the, the when Craven Cottage was under sort of severe threat and the whole club's future was under threat from property developers, I think a lot of Fulham fans remember Brentford fans being the only ones who would ever come down and sing gleefully they're building flats on the cottage, which was always always felt um, very, very sort of below the belt, and that always <laughs> stuck with us. Uh, and they were they were a nasty old team, then a big, brutal, horrible, ugly team, and they're nothing like that now. This is part of what I was writing about today: how irrational, really. This like most like most rivalries, really, they're they're completely irrational. Brentford are now a, a brilliantly run football club. I have to admit that they're they're an excellent team. They're the best goal difference in the division. They're the most entertaining side in the division. You know, professionally, I can say that you know I admire them an awful lot. But there's still this 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 loathing, this sort of from 30 years ago that that won't go away. I'm afraid. But it's so refreshing to see this because here at Talksport, I think everybody knows which who, which teams we support. I think every presenter, practically, and other stations, it's not like that. And I I always like this. So you, you you sort of say you admit you've supported Fulham for 39 years. Um, and you do have a pop at the new stadium. That was very funny as well. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but you say you know you admit that it's unprofessional to admit that you can't stand them. But I think it's quite refreshing. <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. I think if you support one of the bigger clubs in our game, sometimes it can be you get a, a lot more stick, and you're in a bit more of a sticky wicket if you sort of <laughs> know your colours to the mask. But not apart from Brentford, not too many other fans have got anything against Fulham. We tend to be uh, a lot of people's favourite second team, and a lot of people like coming to the cottage and uh, and enjoy the day out. So um, yeah, I felt relatively safe uh, <laughs> saying who I support today. Yeah. The the fact it's them potentially taking mm. a, a return to the Premier League away does it, would that make it worse? You think? Is that going to make it more agonising? Do you know what? There's a, there's an awful lot of Fulham fans, and I might well consider myself one of them, who wouldn't be too bothered about whether we went, stayed, went up or stayed mm. down because we all love the championship. It's a great division. <laughs> you know, it's, it's great entertainment. You know you can turn out every week and you, you can win any given game and you could certainly lose any given game. We got stuffed 3-0 at home by Barnsley a few months ago. You know, it's that sort of league. But... 
the fact that it's Brentford means now that we're all absolutely desperate, for, you know, for them not to go up as much as for us to go up. It's crazy, really, because we had such a bad experience in the in the Premier League two uh, last season when we went straight back down again, and it was pretty awful. Um, that I think a lot of fans are quite happy to stay down if it wasn't for the fact we were playing Brentford. I mean, the third team that came up last year did actually stay up, didn't they? Aston Villa, which was a, which was good, and Sheffield United yeah. did well. Yeah, yeah. It's only really Norwich who won it who really struggled. Yeah. So you never can yeah. tell the teams that promoted how they're going to do. No, it's right. I think Fulham will learn from their mistakes of last time if they do win tonight. I think that they will be. They, they did splurge out um, a bit too much and rip things up a little bit too much. They made a couple of... I mean, it was t- a, lot, a lot talked about how they'd spent over £100 million on 12 players. They did need to make a lot of signings. They had a lot of loan players that season, but they did make a couple of very expensive mistakes. They chopped and changed their goalkeepers. They got rid of Jukanovic, the manager who took them up far too early, and it, it was an absolute mess. I think there'll be a lot more continuity this time if Fulham do make it. Not that I'm particularly confident that they will, because I think Brentford as I say are excellent, and, and they always seem to beat us as well. So uh, we shall see. Are you going tonight? No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm sort of staying at home, watching it with my son. Um, I missed the last one two years ago because I was. It was the same day as the Champions League final in Kiev, and I had to be there for work. So I've missed both of them, and I'm, and I'm not old enough to to have gone to the 1975 FA Cup final either. So I've got a pretty poor record. Uh, attending Fulham games at Wembley, I'm afraid. They've been few and far between over the years. <laughs> the consequences of defeat, I mean, you'd think on the face of it, are going to be worse for Brentford. They may lose some of their star players anyway, even if they go up. But, I mean, we, we read today your yeah, colleague... they'll get picked off if they don't go yeah, up. Your colleague, they're used to that. Yeah, that's true. Your colleague Tom Barkley, you know, writing today that Bournemouth, if Scott Parker doesn't go up with Fulham, Fulham, then Bournemouth may make inquiries. So you yeah, want to lose the manager. No, you wouldn't know. It's interesting. I, I, I think if we lose, I hope and think that, that Parker will stay. But there's been debate over that. The owners are extremely ambitious and they genuinely believe that this team, this squad should have gone up this season. There's a, there's a genuine feeling I mean, amongst a lot of Fulham supporters that Fulham are slightly underachieved this year because they're such a strong squad. They've spent quite a lot of money. Got a lot of, you know, they've got a lot more... Um, big names and big money signings certainly than Brentford have and than pretty much every other team in the league have so the jury's slightly out on Parker I like him I hope they stick by him I think they probably will because things have improved in the last uh, six weeks or so for Fulham they've started looking a lot more cohesive really and and uh, you know a lot more tight at the back than they had earlier in the season so yeah I, mean, but I, I you know Parker's an impressive lad and I you know I, I like him a lot and you know I'm not surprised that other clubs are interested mm. but there's also the, the possibility that the Khans who run Fulham, you know, so ambitious, they may even still pull the trigger if Fulham do lose tonight. I hope not. The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from Talk Sport. We spoke earlier on about the uh, the powers of tea to enhance performance, mm. a good positive for people in sport. But yeah. um, uh, the springboard for this conversation was a tattoo uh, that's had a bit of um, publicity. Matteo Politano, the Napoli player, has got a leopard on his back. I mean, it is a stunning piece of art, yeah. but it is... Well, I think it on the wall. Fundamentally, is Can't whole, even see it. ...is whole Can back. <laughs> and at the back of my mind was the, 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 the thought that it wasn't a great idea for people in sport generally to have tattoos. The science suggested that. So we thought we would explore that a little bit now because uh, James Witts, who's the author of Training Secrets of the World's Greatest Footballers, has written on this very subject. And uh, he joins us now. Good afternoon, James. Good afternoon, Paul. Hope you're well. Yes, Hope good, you're well. thank yeah. you. Yeah, and tattoo-free at the moment. Maybe that's got something to do with it. <laughs> and we'll, we'll come on to why they do it later on, but you did look into the science, didn't you? You spoke to various people, and there are many leading doctors around the world who, who've looked into this and, and feel that it does have an effect. Yes, yeah, I looked at it, and it was a chapter on heat and how players acclimatise to the heat. And there was a study by a Dr. Lutkeimer, who measured the perspiration rates of tattooed footballers versus non-tattooed. He basically stimulated their sweat glands by a chemical called pilocarpine nitrate, which is used to diagnose cystic fibrosis. Basically, he found that the tattoo players, they they sweat less, and they also produced uh, far less sodium. And both of these are sort of essential to keep our homeostasis and prevent us from overheating. So um, he, he was sort of lambasting it, really. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know if he'd have a word with Lionel Messi to say he'd improve if he actually um, 
gets rid of these tattoos. But um, yeah, he he was certainly um, certainly not a fan. I linked uh, the time when Messi had that tattoo on his hamstring and uh, he basically kept getting yeah. a series of hamstring injuries, but he seems to have got over that now, so maybe it was just a coincidence. But you do wonder, don't you? I mean, it's a, I, look, the needle goes in quite a lot of times per, per minute, doesn't it? And you just wonder mm. if it sort of stimulates... It must stimulate muscles, certain muscles and certain points of the body. I mean, see, I'm no scientist. I could have been, but I never really bothered. <laughs> but, um, but, but you know, yeah. you, there's certain things that, that you think, that even the doctor, one mm. of the doctors you spoke to said the, the ink does get into the bloodstream to an extent, which which is, can't be helpful, can it? Well, no, not at all. I mean, that, that, you know, as these authors do also um, follow up by saying further research is needed. But as you say, there's there's evidence that the ink actually does damage the blood vessels, but also the inflammation from all these needles sort of penetrating the, the skin. Just that inflammation uh, just lasts a long time. And I think some some coaches or, or sports scientists even recommend if you're going to have a tattoo, have one in the pre-season so that that inflammation has time to die down. So your chances of injury uh, are reduced. Um, and obviously, I mean, Politano, uh, he's is he still playing? Is he playing for Bar- against Barcelona on Friday, or is he uh, is he not allowed to be on loan? Not, not the wisest time to do it. He's out with a bleeding. He did, back. yeah, he did score. He scored on the final <laughs> day of the season, so he's. Uh, yeah. But I mean, that must hurt. I mean, if you're if you're if you're um, an unscrupulous, um, I mean, mm. per many one from about ten Barcelona player, you want to give him a thump in the back before the corner, well, aren't you? Sore. That's very it's true. It's been a couple of weeks. So, my question, though, is would David Beckham have been better without tattoos? <laughs> that is the question, isn't Ooh. it? Now, there is a question. So apparently, Beckham has got 55 tattoos at the last at the last count. Well, I'm not sure who did count Mr. Beckham's tattooed body, but that's mm-hmm. the eternal question, isn't it? I mean, how good would George Best be if, uh, <laughs> if he'd remain... Um, living on water for his entire career, albeit he wouldn't have been interesting. But then a player like Ben Stokes, who's a genius, does have a... a, I wouldn't say he's injury-prone, that's pretty harsh, but he puts his body through a lot. So, Mm. in a way, it's not surprising that he picks up a lot of injuries, but he's also heavily tattooed. Well, look at Cristiano Ronaldo, who's tattoo-free, isn't he? Mm. Um, I think deliberately he says he gives blood a lot, and et cetera, et cetera, and he's obviously... He's decided, I suppose, as a brand, if, if every other footballer out there has got tattoos and you haven't, that, that, that's good news for business, isn't it, I would think? Absolutely. And I think ultimately with the tattoos, they said they need to do further research on it, but all of, all of the detrimental evidence is really about just maybe your, your homeostasis isn't controlled as much, you're overheating. Uh, and that's why, you know, the, okay, if they've got the tattoos, there'll still be acclimation programmes for things like the Qatar World Cup, because even though it's going to be... In November, it's going to be 30 degrees, um, you know, it's going to be 30 degrees hot. So there'll be a lot of sort of hydration and acclimatization sort of strategies going on. Uh, although I don't think they'll go as far as sort of cleaning uh, these players of their tattoos. In, in this world of, sort of marginal gains, etc., and coaches having very strong views about things, it's quite surprising that, that a top coach hasn't emerged who have said, no more tattoos. If you've got them, don't have any more. If you haven't got them, don't have them. Um, you know, just in case. I mean, they, the science may not be hundred percent perfect on this, but I'm surprised the coach hasn't emerged. You said that. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly uh, sort of the doctors, and not the coaches. I mean, there was this German doctor who uh, he was interviewed in the Sun. They were saying he would he would forbid footballers from being tattooed just because he, he came up with evidence that players suffer a 3 to 5% drop in performance after having a tattoo. Mm. Again, I don't know the credentials of that particular study, but, uh, it, yeah, it does seem, like you said, in this this uh, marginal gains world, like I mentioned in the book, where the players are so accountable because they're being paid so much money and their nutrition strategies are so honed in, fatigue management, you know, injury prevention strategies, that something like tattoos are allowed, but I guess that's the, the whim of players earning sort of upwards of £100,000 a week. And it seems to become a bit of a rites of passage thing. You know, you get the Louis Vuitton wash bag and then you get the tattoo. And I suppose you're surrounded by teammates who are in the first team and they're tatted up. I mean, Mason Greenwood, I'm not saying that's why he's done it, but he's just had a tattoo. Mm. So it's almost like it's, it's part of the process of, uh, of becoming a first team regular. Yeah, and I, I mean, you do wonder as well, you know, obviously these players do have many commitments, but they 
clearly have plenty of time on their hands. It's interesting. I do a lot of work in cycling as well. Mm. I spend a lot of time with the professional cyclists. And you don't see like Geraint Thomas or Chris Froome with, you know, spiderweb tattoos plastered on their head or (laughs) Egan Bernal with tattoos all over himself. So, yeah, it does seem specific. To, to football or, or well, more prevalent American anyway. sports certainly you know, a lot of basketball well, and baseball Mike Tyson players. of course yeah or yeah, boxers in the odd tattooed boxer. face the Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from Talk Sport let's take you back to uh, June 2016 the aftermath of Iceland uh, beating England in the Euros and the inimitable Mr Mark Saggers pack your bags Roy Otter. we've had enough of you We've had all the talk, we've had all the chat, we've had all the promises, we've had all the excuses, and it's never, ever, ever changed. You, Ray Lewington, Gary Neville, pack your bags. Wayne Rooney, we've had enough of you too. You've never delivered on the highest, the most important stage. Some of these other youngsters will have to come again. But my word, how far short did England fall? England collectively, as a squad, were a disgrace. You can hear what those fans think. It's all right, you wanted to put your hands up, Kyle Walker, and applaud them. They're answering you with you're not fit to wear the shirt. That's what they think of this England side. And I'm not surprised. I thought you took it quite well, didn't you? <laughs> not a massive amount of praise it, for the opposition. It was a particularly inept performance, but it didn't give a lot of credit to uh, Iceland. Well, let's redress the balance. Let's redress the balance. Against the elements, the eruption of Icelandic football by Matt McGinn is out now. Good afternoon, Matt. Afternoon, how are you? We're good, thank you. Yeah, very much enjoyed the book. Uh, and uh, we must congratulate the photographer because the photographs are sensational. I mean, it's fine writing, but who? you're not the photographer. You had someone do the pictures for you. No, the photographer is a guy called Joseph Fox, who, as you say, is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, really, uh, fant- and sensational pictures. Yeah, I mean, from, from a very early stage of coming up with the idea for the book, I was really keen to get him on board because I think as as good as my, you know, I might write the best paragraph I've ever written, but with it being about Iceland, such a stunning, brutal place, it would really struggle to do it justice in a way that photos would. And I think he really brings to life some of those people, places that are so, so kind of evocative. Well, as you've looked into, what was the kind of springboard for it? What made you want to look into the the, the rise of Icelandic football? Uh, I think the, the 2016 version of myself would have asked the same question as I was <laughs> watching on bitterly disappointed like the rest of us. I suppose I'd been aware that something was brewing in Iceland from around 2013 when they just missed out on the on the Brazil World Cup, losing a playoff to Croatia. Um, but it was in 2017 when I really picked up interest. I was working in Madrid at the time at a newspaper, uh, working an evening shift. And the TV was set to one of those channels that goes around the various qualifying matches, depending on where the action was. And it kept going back to Turkey versus Iceland because Iceland kept scoring. And it ended up 3-0 to the visitors. And although that didn't quite confirm their place at, at Russia, it made it very probable. And it was at that point that I thought, you know, I really want to read into this more. It's, it's fascinating. How has this happened? But there wasn't a book on it. So I thought, well, I'll take the plunge. Why not me? Mm. Yeah, why not? Good idea. I Personally, I can't stand the football they play. I couldn't stand the way they played in, in 2016. But you have to admire the infrastructure, the way they've structured their game, the way they've developed coaches. It's impressive, isn't it? Yeah, it's very, very impressive. So like you say, um, around the start of the millennium, in the early 2000s, they made a decision to uh, educate as many coaches as possible. So coach education is really cheap there. And as a result, they've got more UEFA licensed coaches to go around than pretty much anywhere else. And at the same time, they also invested in a lot of physical infrastructure in artificial pitches, indoor pitches, which meant that football could go from being a four or five month of the year pursuit because of the weather to being an all round, all round thing. So, yeah, the transformation has been absolutely phenomenal and uh, it bore fruit against England and I think it's continuing to do so as well. I mean, the book is about the way the kind of uh, culture uh, of the place and the philosophy of the place sort of permeates the football as well. You, I mean, you went out with the fishermen there, you did lots and lots of people, uh, lots and lots of things out there, you met the people and you got to kind of feel for the country. So you think it, it does inform the kind of football they play? Yeah, Absolutely. Um, like you said, I spent a few days on a trawler and watched one of Iceland mm. matches there. 
And I think the fishermen, even today, it's a very, uh, you know, there's a lot of technology in, in that industry now, but it still epitomizes those old Icelandic values of stoicism, industriousness, hard work, which go back to a time not that long ago, two or three generations above the current crop of players, when it was a really, really difficult place to live. You know, people could either farm on land that wasn't particularly fertile and would occasionally erupt, or they could go fishing. And it wasn't an easy place to live at all. And I think those kind of values that allowed people to survive still survive in the current crop of footballers. Mm. And yeah, like you say, in, in that in that manner, the culture really informs the football and 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 helps the football. I think. How, how sustainable <clears throat> is it though? I mean, was it just a kind of glorious period where they had players like Gilfie Sigurdsson and others, a, a good crop of good good months and a good crop of players that all came together at one time? Are, are the good young players coming through? Are they sustaining it? I yeah, I think they are sustaining it. There are good players coming through. I think whether the men's national team will continue to achieve quite as uh, as much as they have done over the last four or five years is another question. I think, like you've alluded to, they benefited from a lot of players, Gilfie Sigurdsson's generation and other players we've seen in England, like Aaron Gunnison, all coming through at the same time. And that meant that they bedded in together. They created this really cohesive team. And although Iceland is probably producing better players now, more technical players, they won't have the benefit of coming into that relatively low pressure uh, yeah. national team environment and having that time to really bed together. They haven't qualified yet, have they, for the Europa? In the playoffs, they're still in the playoffs, yeah. though. So a third yeah. successive tournament would, would be some achievement, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. They've got Romania in the in the first playoff coming up. And it would be a really nice way, I think, for this generation to round off what they've achieved. They're they're around 29, 30 years of age now. So you'd say probably hitting, you know, the back end of their peak, maybe got a couple, one, one or more, one or two more tournaments in them. So I think, yeah, reaching the Euros next year would be a really good way to round off this cycle and, and hopefully lay the foundations for more success in the future as well. You know, there's an awful lot of footballers, considering the population, there's an awful lot of people playing football, men, women, etc. Mm. So, I mean, does it bode well for their domestic game or is it always going to be the case that the better players will go off and play in Europe around the world? Yeah, I think it, I think that would always be the case. I think they accept in Iceland that for the best players to develop, they will have to leave. They'll have to leave. Um, a lot of them go at 16 years of age to Netherlands, to Scandinavia, to England. Mm. Um, and there's a bit of discussion in Iceland, a bit of disagreement about whether that is positive as a whole for the national game. There are some people who, who'd argue that the health of domestic football and club football is actually a better indicator of how the nation's doing than the national team. The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from TalkSport. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit UH1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from TalkSport. Hawksby and Jacobs here on TalkSport. Dave Kidd, the Fulham fan, was telling us earlier on how he respects uh, Brentford but hates them at the same time. There is a real (laughs) animosity between the two clubs. Sure, it's mutual. But they go head-to-head uh, for a place in the Premier League tonight. So let's get a Brentford take on it. Uh, Hard-fire frontman, uh, new project we'll talk about a little bit later on. And Brentford fan Richard Archer joins us. Good afternoon, Richard. Afternoon, how are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. You're nervous? less nervous than you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, obviously nervous. I mean, I, I'm, not a good, I'm not good at this, this kind of like, you know, crunch games. I get pretty strung out. Yeah. So... Um, so yeah, you know, and every people keep people all day. People have been texting me saying, "Oh, I want it to be great. I want it to be great if you guys go up." And I'm like, "Can you can you just don't contact me until tomorrow?" <laughs> and then don't, don't contact want any me. Thing going on here. <laughs> I mean, it's an awful lot. I mean, 160 million quid uh, and the parachute payments. Oh, and no, it's gone up. It's 265 Two, million. Is it now? 265 million? And moving into the new ground, there is so much riding on it, isn't there? I mean, yeah, well, of course there is. I mean. Um, you know, I, I, it's weird though. Sort of almost that suggests that we were expecting it, and I think that you know, although you know, we everyone's been excited about moving to the new ground. So actually, if we if we could move into the new ground and do it, what you know, by going into the Premiership, that would be incredible. I mean, it's, the money is almost mind-boggling. Really, it's hard to get your head around it. Um, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, how if if we could do it, you know, how would that affect the model that the club has you know would it just they'd do the same thing again or you know would it just be that the the base price would go up but they'd still be finding kind of un, undiscovered you know talent and you know adding value and you know how, how would it work I guess I guess it would sort of be a bit of a you know an evolution maybe if, if we could stay there maybe we wouldn't end, end, end up being a selling club so much I don't know you know yeah I mean I think I don't um, see them changing the model that much because no. it's so admired like in the way that Liverpool are admired for what they did in their particular way of doing it Brentford at a, a lower level had that same level of admiration from other clubs the way they scout people the way they find players from the French second division and all this sort of thing I don't see that changing I don't see why it should I hope not. I mean, if you, I mean, I think we're the only, we're the only, definitely the only club in the in the playoff positions who haven't don't have parachute payments. I think we're only one of four clubs in the entire championship who don't have some kind of uh, parachute payment still going on. So to be able to have, you know, that that be able to compete um, in the way we have is because of the, of the way the club operates. You know, and it's I think as a Brentford fan, you're quite proud of the fact as well. You know, they think differently. They they do things a bit differently and you've you've kind of you know and here we are you know we're going to play Fulham tonight I mean how much did they spend last season when they went up Mm. to the Premiership was it like 100 million quid something like that I don't know and obviously a lot of those guys they signed still playing for the club they're still you know they've got their experienced players who've been in this situation but we've beaten them home and away this season and if we play our best we can beat them again you know so you know, just fingers crossed we play our best. Um, Watkins was sensational in the last game, wasn't he? In the second leg of the semi-final. Wonderful game he had. But Ben Rama's been a bit iffy, hasn't he, in the last three or four games? He's just not quite finishing in the way that he, he has been. And so, obviously, you'll be hoping he's he's back to full form tonight. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, we had those, you know, that run of eight games. Um, and you thought, well, this can't go on forever. You know, that at some point we will have a bit of a wobble. And in some ways, in that first leg against Swansea, Rico getting sent off, I think, kind of galvanised the squad again and got them focused again on what they had to do. Then, you know, and it's sort of the injustice of it. Um, it would be great if, you know, Saeed. It's almost like he's sometimes you think he's trying too hard. He's desperate. I mean, I, you know, there's been all sorts of talk about you know whether he'll move in, in, you know next season. I think he's desperate that the whole club is in the Premiership, not just him. I think you, you know, and he's trying to make stuff happen but even 
you know, like um, Brian and uh, Brian and Boomer, you know, since he came back from his sort of COVID test, he hasn't. I mean, he scored a great goal uh, against Swansea, but he hasn't been the same player. Mm. Um, you know, who knows whether that's anything to do with, you know, mm, his, sure. but they, obviously they see him in training. So, but, you know, hopefully he's gradually, you know, coming back. Maybe tonight will be the night that he kind of, you know, we can have all of BMW firing on all cylinders. That would be incredible because it's, it's fantastic to watch when they are. Yeah. Um, but Watkins, Watkins mm. I don't I can't almost believe it. He, I think he's he's played every game bar about ten minutes, <laughs> and he's he runs as much at the end of the game as he does at the beginning. He has got his fitness is incredible. Mm. Mm. Um, why Brentford for you then, Richard? What, what is it a geographical thing? Or? Uh, yeah, I, my my dad's family were sort of from Isleworth, Brentford way, and um, my you know my cousin actually used to work for the club. And you know, when I was growing up, my mates were sort of. You know, generally Tottenham, Arsenal, Chelsea fans, um, and I did. You know, I do have to admit, I had a little soft spot for Liverpool because you know I wanted to be Alan Hansen. <laughs> um, but then on my cousin, like my first game, my cousin got me and my mates into Brentford, and even though it's Griffin Park and it's a small, quite a small ground, it felt enormous. And then my uncle as well, he had all he had loads of these old programs, and he used to tell me all about it. And and eventually you kind of go, well, just and when you go there, you know, it just feels such so welcoming and so. Um, such a nice atmosphere there. You can, you know, you can bump into the players in the street. It's just got a vibe, and I think, I think even you know, fans from other clubs when they come, you know, especially to Griffin Park. I mean, hopefully we can take that to the new stadium. It's got a special feeling about the place. Mm. Um, you know, the, the fans from different sides mingle in the pubs afterwards, have a bit of chat and a bit of banter. There's never any trouble. It's just, um, you know, a really nice place to be. Have you seen? Have you been to the new ground yet? Had a look round. I haven't I haven't been in it, but I've been lucky enough to um, go. Brentford have got an office next door where you can go in there and have a look down into the ground, and um, it looks fantastic. I mean, I drive past it quite a lot. As you drive into London on the M4, you see it from the flyover, and I've seen it come sort of like you know since they sort of broke ground, really gradually come up, and um, you know it's very exciting. It's very exciting. I mean. Yeah. I just hope we can keep some of that. You know, I'm sure we will because it's the, it's the family, isn't it, that makes that sort of atmosphere. Sure, um, definitely. Um, now uh, you've got a new musical project. We're going to play out with uh, a new song. So tell us a bit about that off world. Yeah, so I was just sort of knocking about with some some mates of mine, and, and some of these guys are like a great musicians. So we've got a drum bass, Dale Davis. He was Amy Winehouse's bass player. Mm. Um, drummer, drummer called Sir Smiley Barnard. He's played with Joe Strummer and Lowe, yeah, Robbie Williams as well. He's played with everyone, you know. Um, Wolsey White, my old pal, who plays, produced the Hard Five Records, and a really like great friend of mine called Kristen Cummins. She's an amazing singer. She was like Olivier nominated. She brought Rent to London. Oh, right. She's incredible. I don't know why she's not a household name because she's amazing. And we just started making this music and sort of did it bits and pieces over time because everyone's always busy. But we kind of finally finished it, and I'm really, I'm really proud of it. I mean, obviously, we were supposed to be playing gigs and festivals this summer, but mm. all that's been sort of bumped into next year now, I think, because of COVID and what have you. But um, you know, please have a listen to it because we, we think it's what well, we would, but we think it's great. Well, we'll play uh, "Brave to Be Alive" uh, into the news, and uh, look, enjoy the game. I know it's not easy, but enjoy it if we you can be. tonight. <laughs> we'll uh, thank you win. very much. <laughs> Good, thank you. Come on, Brentford. <laughs> Good to talk to you, Richard. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Take care, fellas. we are Richard Archer from Hi-Fi and uh, Off World. This is Brave to be Alive. The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from TalkSport. The Sun did a very useful thing today to how to keep the kids occupied uh, during the summer holidays. But one of the things they come up with, I think, is mm. asking for trouble. They came up with some different games you could play with young kids. And one was called Living Room Volleyball, for which you need cushions, a balloon, a paper or plastic plate for each player, and uh, a scoreboard. And they're suggesting, I mean, kids indoors with balloons, which yeah. on the face of it, what damage can they do? 
Yeah, but, no, but like, I mean, I, well, I think they can. Yeah, they're charging about, jumping on the furniture, well, you know, breaking. So did I. And I, yeah, I broke stuff. In fact, I, 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 I tear up now <laughs> thinking about it. I missed the cup final when I was uh, ten years old because the night before I was playing football with a balloon. I was a bit like Gaza, couldn't sleep, mm. and I kicked the furniture and broke my toe. Oh, and couldn't play in the cup final. Oh, you couldn't play in the cup? No, oh, I, couldn't, no, oh, I didn't know right. not to go to it, to play, no, to play right. in the cup final for God. my school team. We, we lost 4-2. I don't think my presence would have made any difference <laughs> to that. you don't know that. But um, <laughs> it's, it still lives with you me. stopped just, at least one I of those just, four goals. My, my mum and dad, I think it was my dad who had to go there and said he can't play, he's broken his toe, kicking a balloon around the living room. <laughs> I Imagine the teacher that. was broken. Incredibly broken pleased. man I was. Um... <laughs> Is this strange? Oh no, that's what I meant to ask. Did you see that thing today with the uh, dogs? Dog lovers have been snapping their pooches in helmets made from watermelons. Yeah, I'm not doing that to mine. <laughs> She'll just eat it. Get it off her head and eat it. I quite like to see Joe Root go out to bat tomorrow with a watermelon helmet. <laughs> quite good. Yeah, it would look good. Yeah, nice <laughs> idea. Can people stop? I, I really think if you're editing a tabloid text page. Can you stop putting in letters when people say about footballers? Why are they tired? Why are they tired? There's a difference between tiredness. When, when a manager talks about players being tired, I'm, I'm addressing this directly at people who edit these <laughs> these columns. Okay. When they say that players are tired and we're worried about it, it's from purely from an injury point of view. No one's saying that they couldn't actually play the game or that you know going to work every day is is. You know, hard and that. No one's, it's got nothing to do with that. Mm. When managers complain, it's because they know that when players get overtired, when they get fatigued, they get injured. They get injured. Which is what happened to two Chelsea so players. What's at the, the weekend, point of saying Darren Spencer wrote in and they decided to publish it? He wrote oh, in the Darren same. Spencer. Now you're talking. It's unbelievable Never that Frank Lampard is whining and that Chelsea team are tired and won't be ready for the big kickoff. Thought it might have been Chelsea, eh? Didn't you? It doesn't matter. This letter has been written to about a million clubs. <laughs> oh, he had to be Chelsea. And it's always this bit. Get in the real world. See how doctors, nurses, police, ambulance crews, and so on carry on every day. Far less pay than pompous football. It's nothing to do with money. Pompous. Nothing to do with. T- it's just nonsense. Stop. Okay, well there we are. Stand up for the players. We mentioned earlier on. Have you ever taken anything out on an inanimate object? This was because of uh, Kurt Mafflin, the snooker player, who flicked the V's Mm. at the cue ball and was reprimanded for it by the referee at the crucible. And Gab Cancello says, "I once, uh, when a printer at work broke down in 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 the." What's that say? Anyway, yeah, three times in a row during a big run of photocopying, he says, or printing, I went full basil and started whacking it with an empty cardboard box <laughs> using language that wouldn't be out of place in a Scorsese movie. And Ryan says, when Arsenal failed to qualify for the Champions League on the last day of the season, last season, I picked up a huge teddy bear I bought for my girlfriend and just started uh, wailing at it with some haymakers, he says. <laughs> what made me angrier is her laughing her backside. Well, okay. So if right. you've taken anything out on an inanimate object and in what <laughs> circumstances let us know this afternoon talksport.com text 81089 or tweet to TSH&J uh, Andy I've oh, yeah. a fantastic a fine Twitter feed which I, I follow it's called Historic Cricket Pictures and it is oh, yeah. just that so you'd love it mm. so, I, well, I, must, actually, I did send you did tell to me about yeah. it yeah. and today they've got um, uh, pictures of a streaker and this goes back to 1975 it was oh, a bloke very famous Michelangelo an inebriated ship's cook he stripped off and streaked on a baking hot fourth day afternoon the 1975 Lord's Ashes test was fined £10 the same amount that he won as a bet and he entered he jumps over the stumps he does that's the picture that's a a famous picture but the thing was um, streaking was an American thing and no one knew anything about it particularly so it was quite new to the point where uh, Trevor Bailey who was uh, commentating on the radio said it's a freaker it's a freaker (laughs) (laughs) he'd never even heard the term those were the days I'm a massive, I'm a big fan of Ali Ross's column in The Sun, but I'm a massive fan of a section of it called Unexpected Morons in the Bagging Area. This Mm. is basically where he looks at stupid answers that people give to quiz questions on on game shows. This one is, it's one of the best ever, this one. This is Ben Shepard, so it must have been Tipping Point. He says, the question was, in 1954, Roger Bannister became the first man to run which distance in under four minutes? And Carter, who was the... (laughs) The uh, contestant said, the marathon. 
<laughs> Seriously. Well, Mike Parry, I believe. <laughs> there will be a day, OK, when a man will run a marathon in oh, four for minutes. Oh, sake. Uh, he, he would argue that on here, given half the chance, definitely. <laughs> but though, I, I could do without photos of the Roonies on every day of their holiday. I get the yeah. idea. They've gone on holiday. Give them a day off. Give us a day <laughs> off. Gone, and them a day they've off. They've gone yeah. to Barbados. The thing about Barbados is the beaches are public. So, of course, as course soon as you are, step yeah. on the beach, you That's can have your, your photo taken. Your sandy lanes, etc. We've been through every type of water sports that the kids have done and every type of water skiing. And there she is on a paddleboard and there they are. There's Wayne with it. Leave them alone. <laughs> we don't need it, do we? And what you get then is a bloke that texts the starter saying, and the Rooney family become citizens of Barbados. Because it's, they shove down people's throats. That they're there. It seems like they've been there for six months, but it's only a two-week holiday. But because they featured every single day, you think... Oh, for goodness sake. Well, in the old office where the snapper works. It must that moment where he says, anybody fancy doing a week in Barbados oh, with yeah. the Roonies? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be great, wouldn't That's it? That's true, really. Yeah, yeah. Not a bad gig, is it? Not a bad gig for the photographer. What are you going to do? So, um, mm. anything else? Anything else? I, uh, where were I, you watched tonight, Andy? Were you watching? Oh, I was in my normal uh, position. Alone? Yes, alone. Okay. <laughs> I like being alone. I understand that. I like well, to I, concentrate I, on the, the, the match. Yeah, sure. You know, I've got it's work for me. Although, uh, tonight, actually, mm-hmm. the more... The more tense I am, the less notes I make. Do you think, obviously. as you've bought a season ticket for uh, Brentford, mm. they're your second team, you, I mean, mm. will you be punching the air if they... Oh, yeah, yeah blimey. I'm is like it because the value of your season ticket will no, go? No, that would be very crass <laughs> if that was the re- only reason. Yeah, of course, there's a part of me that sort of wants to you know, be a smart aleck and say, oh, look what I did. Yeah, there's an element of that, of course, mm. there is. But generally, it's because, A, I'm very pleased. I've got a lot of friends who really are genuine uh, Brentford fans and also it will be fun to go to I hope that we can go to the new stadium and God knows when but hopefully at some point before the end of the season before they get relegated again mm. which is what I told you is going to happen and I will never get to see them in the Premier League what, what's happened to your Chelsea season to you? I told you nothing. what they've done with mine have you uh, nothing's going on no I checked after you told me I, I went and had a look on, on the, the club have not approached the not, fans they've not said anything no they, other than the, originally you had the option of getting the money back or leaving it towards next season which is what we chose to do that's it so presumably I suppose until fans can come back what's the point well you have a word with Daniel Levy I think the point is before Friday (laughs) you have to commit your £210 um, non-returnable deposit that's uh, that's the start that Spurs, He's a piece of work, isn't that Spurs have taken. <laughs> Even though we've kind of got it in the bank for the games. You've yeah, got to. a lovely stadium, though, you've got to say that. Yeah. I uh, I hope we'll be able to talk about this, but uh, there's a new sport I read about. I don't know if it's not necessarily that new, but it's called magnet fishing. Is it a sport? Well, I think it is a sport. It's basically fishing. You've got to you've got to cast a magnet into a river, yeah, and then it, then it is a, like underwater metal detector. Yeah, then you're yeah you're, yeah you're picking up a, a bike or a shopping <laughs> I was reading, trolley. I was reading, no people. There's one bloke who's caught parking meters with money in them. Oh, okay. Well, it's not a lot of money. It's not a life changer, is it? <laughs> no, of course not. Much like, yeah. Only a limit. Twenty down. quid in change <laughs> yeah, or whatever. How much you can get into one? But why would somebody dispose of a parking meter in a river? Oh, I don't know. How could ask, that even have come you're about? Asking their old a bunch well, of herbits, yeah. just pulled one out of the ground and lobbed it in the river. I don't know. Well, apparently, there were three. Oh, okay. So, Fair know. enough. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from Talk Sport. Hawksby and Jacobs uh, here on Talk Sport. And uh, so we'll look ahead at the playoff very shortly with uh, Dean Ashton, your co commentator tonight. But before that, uh, this is inventive in the Harry Potter uh, envelope. Uh, Stephen Bantock is actually a Brighton fan, but his mm. house backs onto the south stand of Fratton Park, uh, Portsmouth ground. So he spent a bit of time in lockdown uh, creating a kind of virtual portal <laughs> into Fratton Park. <laughs> I know, but when you just told me that he doesn't even support Portsmouth, I was thinking, what's the point? But it's, oh, well, it looks brilliant. But it's all a matter of geography. <laughs> it's a lovely job he's done. Uh, and yes. uh, Stephen joins us now. Good afternoon, Stephen. Hi guys, how you doing? Good, thank Good. you. Yeah, and that's a bit as we said, it's a bit like the the Harry Potter, isn't it? Platform nine and three quarters, is it? Um, nine and a quarter. Isn't that three quarters? I'm not a big Harry yeah. Potter fan. <laughs> I'm not a big Quidditch fan. But it's you've kind of drawn. There's there's a door there. Did you was the door already there, leading nowhere, or did you add the no, door? No, 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 no. Um, I think if you had a spare bit of time in lockdown, you're just walking around the neighbourhood and you see someone had a spare door outside their front garden, and right. then had the idea to kind of maybe make a like a virtual entrance into the stadium just for a bit of fun um you know a bit of spare time and it does help when your your fiance's dad is an engineer so he's uh-huh. extremely handy at diy extremely handy 
And, um, so he gave me gave me some tips. Yeah, and a big Pompey fan, isn't he as well? Big which, Pompey fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was probably inspired. So to do it. Uh, people can go and check out the picture. It's it, it's readily available. But basically, it's, you open the door, and then there you are looking out onto Fratton Park and the stand opposite with the with the floodlights on, the lovely uh, blue sky. And exactly. uh, is it open to the? I mean, you, is it only open for friends? Or do people knocked on the door says, "Can I have, can I have a look at your <laughs> your portal?" Uh, no, only friends. That, I mean, the kids. I mean, my um. My fiance's godchildren have loved it, and mm. uh, friends who've come around who've got kids who absolutely love it. Just walking up to it, pretending to open it, walking into the ground. Um, <laughs> but yeah, these things escalate. It just started off as an idea around a dinner table, and before you know it, you've got a door and a, and a virtual stadium. Now you've got the ideas of, well, can you get people here on match days when we're allowed to go back into stadiums and you know put some smile on people's faces? It'd be a nice photo up, wouldn't it? If you're going to watch yeah. a game, be a lovely little photo, a bit like the thing they did at uh, at King's Cross, yeah. Exactly, exactly that. Um, but yeah, it's great responses to it. I mean, some people have actually asked, does it actually go into Fratton Park? And I've had to politely say, no, not, not quite. There's about eight foot of concrete um, before you get into the, into the stadium. Have any kids walked into that eight foot of concrete thinking they can <laughs> no. step onto the pitch? Uh, not just yet, no. That's but, good. Um, yeah, not, not just yet. What's it, what's it like living right next to the ground? It's something we've talked about over the years, but, I mean, you're basically right on the south stand, aren't you? If, you, if yeah. that was a real door, you'd be in the ground. So, I mean, what are the, what are the highs and the lows, the pitfalls of it and the advantages? Yes, yeah, I mean, there's so Portsmouth still attracts up to 20,000 fans a game. You know, they've still got a big following. So on a match day, you're looking at a fair few thousand people um, obviously going to the ground. So you still get the noise and the murmurs when they score, when a red card happens. Um, so, I mean, some of the stories I've told of I walked into my front door and the player got sent off. So I've had 18,000 boo, 18,000 people boo me as I walked in my front door. And then I've had a, a friend who jumped in the shower and he took his shirt off and they scored. Um, and he just had like 18,000 fans celebrate him taking his shirt off, which was quite funny. Um, but hey, it's a, it's, it's a great environment. I mean, if you like sport, like football, like myself, um, it's, it's lovely to be around. It's, I mean, I've watched a few home games. I'm not. One of them where, obviously, I'm a Brighton fan, but I don't not go watch football. That's on your doorstep. Um, so having a 35-second commute to the seat isn't, isn't too bad. Um, living nearby, so, yeah. Yeah, lovely. You mentioned Brighton there. And you, as you say, you're a fan, and uh, you must be quite pleased, well, very pleased with the way they uh, stayed up and performed this season. They played some nice football at times, didn't they? Yeah, exactly. My, um, I mean, I, I was a season ticket holder when we were at Gillingham, um, and obviously went to the Wivdean Stadium when we had temporary stands. So mm. I've definitely done my time watching them at um, some, some dark times. So seeing them on the rise and being in the Premier League, it's been absolutely amazing. Um, and yeah, it's definitely a different brand of football. I think I remember Crystal Palace tried to adopt their style with Frank de Boer and they bailed out after 10 games. Um, Brighton have changed their style this year and held firm and managed to stay up, which is a, is a massive achievement. Yeah. Um, I- I see you're moving as well at some point, Stephen. What's what's the sort of what's it like moving from a ground that's so uh, sorry from a house that's so close to the ground? What's the sort of resale uh, like? What have you been told by the estate agents? <laughs> it, could, it could be a unique selling point. Uh, it could also um, they've actually been quite positive. They turned it into a story, and to be honest, we've built it in a way that you could easily take it down. Um, yeah, you know, it's not it's not like it's not there forever. No, I think you'd want it. Be, I think it's a bit of a, a, a bit USP, fun, isn't it? Yeah, isn't it, it really? nice. There's not many right, people yeah. have got that. It's fantastic. I mean, I don't think you're going to buy that. If you, if you don't like football or football fans right next to you, but you probably won't buy your place. So I'm going to imagine it will go to someone who's a bit like you, fairly sympathetic to football fans. Exactly. And um, actually, I've got my first, first viewing on Friday, so I'll let you know how that goes. <laughs> what they think. <laughs> now, I'm always fascinated by that because you often do get that. People move near a football ground and then they start complaining that it's a bit noisy on a Saturday. Yeah. What did you move here for? But well, if you're do. a Pompey fan, I mean, this is alerting Pompey oh, yeah. fans, hopefully, to the fact that uh, there's a place coming on the market that backs onto the South Stand. So I'd like to think it'll go, it'll go, it'll go to uh, the right sort of people that uh, that want to go at the games. Exactly, and um, it, yeah, literally, it's, it's plum. It's right on the back, um, and obviously, all the houses around here are full, so um, people still live here. Um, mm. It's a great, it's a great, and also like you're right by. I mean, Southsea and Portsmouth have developed since I've been in the last five years. I'm 10 minutes away from Albert Road and Southsea, which is um, very vibrant. Um, obviously, pre-lockdown, um, when it's back up and running, it's, it's a great place to be. And if Portsmouth have won a game or won a big game, 
there's definitely an atmosphere in Portsmouth after, which is really, yeah. really yeah, it's good. nice. It's nice Portsmouth. It's hard to believe it's still yeah. there. I mean, spinnaker. I, used, I used to go Gary and watch spinnaker. Yeah, you can watch Portsmouth play with an old colleague of mine, Andy Strickland, and that was in the days Milan Mandrich was there. They were moving. There was all these greenfield sites they were going to move to, and plans for new stadiums. And it, sadly, it never quite happened. But it is a great old ground, Fran. I always love going yeah. there. It's got a great atmosphere and a lot of history to it. It's one of them where, um, again, it's just, just the fans are on the pitch almost. Um, yeah. I, I actually, uh, when they played Southampton uh, last this season, just gone in the FA Cup, but we actually stayed stayed at my fiance's mum and dad's because um, that is a, that is a hostile environment um, between them two clubs. Yeah. Um, I definitely didn't want my car left outside my house that night. No, um, you know you can That definitely attracts a you know different kind of environment, which. Um, yeah, I didn't want to be a part of unfortunately that night. <laughs> well, look, we, we, we wish you well at selling when you come to sell, and uh, it's it's mm. a brilliant thing. People can go and check it out. If they go to portsmouth.co.uk, the news website, they can see all the pictures uh, and, and read your story in full. So, Stephen, good to talk to you. All the best. Appreciate big fan of the show, so thank you very much for having Lovely. me. Thanks, thanks Stephen. Cheers, Stephen Bantick there. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from TalkSport. There we are. That was this afternoon's show. We will return tomorrow for one to reflect on the championship uh, playoff final and lots more besides, won't we? We will. And if Brentford have been promoted, I'll be selling my season ticket. For yeah, it'll be, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Get a few extra quid. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Hear the guys every weekday between 1 and 4 p.m. on TalkSport. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.